The Torah teaches us that we have an obligation to preserve our good health and protect ourselves from illness. Join top medical experts as they unpack illness, good health, lifestyle and health management. It's Dischem Medical Mondays at 10 a.m. And it's brought to you with the compliments of Dischem, pharmacists who care. Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla and I'm your host for the next hour. You know, this time of the year, I don't know what it is, when there is a seasonal change, everything in our body seems to change, doesn't it? All of a sudden where we weren't, we didn't have weepy eyes, our eyes are running. Or they could be dry because the air is dry. You know, I actually was, as um, I noticed this morning that when I was putting on my clothes, there was all the static no, because of the dry air at this time of the year. So I thought, well, you know what? Let's talk about our eyes. There's a lot of indicators in the eye that if there's something else going on in your body, your eyes will indicate. Um, it's absolutely, it's priceless. You know, vision is priceless. So I thought, well, you know what? Let's just talk about eyes. I think we need to do a focus on eyes, on eye health, on allergies, on when you should know or when to, to, uh, you know, get on that telephone and make an appointment with your optometrist or your ophthalmologist. What's the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist? So we're going to be talking about all these different things, and I'm inviting you to join the conversation. If you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you would like to share an experience, if you'd like to uh, share some advice, then you are welcome to do so. And this is how you get in touch with me. 061-895-1019. Okay, that is the SMS that is not the SMS. That is the WhatsApp or the Telegram number. That's zero six one eight nine five one zero one nine or three four five one nine. That's the SMS line. And those SMSs are charged at one Rand fifty. You can also get in touch with me via Twitter at ChaiFM, C-H-A-I-F-M. Joining me in studio is a Tanya Noach. She's a qualified optometrist. She's been in the industry for over 14 years. She practices at VisionWorks Optometrist in Benmore. And Tanya is currently doing research on contact lenses. She's completing her postgraduate degree at university, and uh, she works with an ophthalmologist as well, which is very, very nice. Good morning, Tanya. How are you? Great, thanks. And you, Kathy? I'm all right, thank you. All right, so Tanya, let's talk about um, seasonal changes, right? Certainly at this time of the year, you know, very dry eyes. And it, and I'm just wondering if it's because the sun is going down early and it seems like the days are shorter and the nights are longer. <laughs> yes. um, why do we get dry eyes, dry eyes? Okay, indeed dry eyes is a huge problem. Actually, globally, um, do you know a lot of studies have shown us that 345 million people suffer with dry eyes and it's a condition that's quite underestimated. Um, in winter, basically because the dryness in the air dries out our skin now, our hair, our eyes and everything. Everything. It's absolutely yeah. applicable to, to most of us right now. So what exactly is a dry eye? So in order for us to discuss that, we'll have to just give a very brief overlay of what our tears actually are. So our tears have got three layers in them. So if you can imagine, I'm sure all of us have done the experiment where we poured 
oil into water, you'll see that it never mixes. So our very outermost layer is an oily layer. So if you can imagine the watery layer beneath that cannot pass through the oil. So the oil actually helps to minimize the evaporation of our tears. Then your second layer is covered with lots of It's an aqueous layer, so it's your more watery layer. And your inner layer is more mucus layer, so it sort of sticks to the cornea, so it allows, you know, less penetration of bacteria and everything to enter. So any of us can have a deficiency in any of these three tier layers, either alone or in combination. It's unbelievable. I've never never thought of tears as something that has oil or or, or this, you know, this liquid aqueous level. And then what was the mucin layer? So it's a more mucousy layer. So so when somebody wakes up in the morning and we have sleep in our eyes. Yes. Right? Is that the this mucin layer that you're talking Correct. about? And remember that all these layers are secreted by different glands. So one can have a dysfunction of what we call the meibomian gland which is responsible to secrete more of the mucus layer or the lacrimal gland which secretes more of the teary layer. So what happens is Often people go and they try every different OTC medication off the shelf and often find they don't really get the relief that they're expecting because one doesn't know exactly which area of the tear film is deficient and why the dry eye isn't really getting better. So it's yes. definitely advisable to seek professional help because all of us will, will suffer with dry eyes for various reasons that we can get into as well. How would you know if, um, okay, so you, you said that each different layer is produced by different glands. Yes. If one of those glands is blocked yes. or not working, um, take me through what that would be. How would, how would we feel in our eyes? I mean, would, it, would, it, would our eyes swell? Yes. So in general, a dry eye is quite a complex thing. But the main symptoms are, so firstly, you'll have a stinging or a burning sensation, almost like you feel you've got sand in your eyes, a very scratchy, gritty feeling. Um, you also can have blurred vision, and this can be intermittent. So you'll often find that your vision's blurred, but after a couple of blinks, it clears and then it blurs again. So that's a classic sign that the tear film is evaporating. Um, you can have red, itchy eyes as well, and you often have an increased frequency of blinking. So you'll find you've got a blink and blink often more than than normal. The very big telltale sign that it's a dry eye is the excessive tearing that one experiences. Now, I'll elaborate on this because it's often a something that people don't understand. They and it's counterintuitive. How can yes. you be having dry eyes if, you, if your eyes are tearing That's all the exactly time? That's exactly what they say to me. My eyes are not dry. My eyes are watery. Yes. So if you can imagine a piece of sandpaper underneath your lid, your eyes, your lids are blinking across that friction surface thousands of times in a day. So that irritation causes damage to our ocular surface. So then what happens is you get that reflex tearing. Um, so if your meibomian gland is dysfunctional and you don't have enough oily layer coupled with that, you'll get the evaporation of tears. So you will just have these horribly uncomfortable eyes all the time. Um, contact lens wearers get affected immensely by dry eyes as well because you need enough tears behind the contact lens as well as in front of it to lubricate yes. the contact lens that moves in your eyes the whole time. So it is something that affects all of us because of various factors. Like all of us are stuck to computer screens all day. So our environmental and our occupational factors play a huge role in this as well as advances in age. As we do age, our metabolism and our hormones do change. So it, I thought it I was does, just crying more. <laughs> it does change your tear emotional about as well. Things. Okay, good. <laughs> Females are more prone to it, I must say, because we do have emotion, hormonal ups and downs during our time. Um, systemic medications play a huge role in this as well. So people who are on a contraceptive pill 
typical beta blocker medications that's like heart medications, blood pressure medications, as well as antihistamines, just to name a few, can cause I, I deficiencies can imagine there. Antihistamines. Yes. I didn't know about the others. And sometimes people think they have an allergic, they, they have an allergic eye, yet it's a dry eye, and then they take antihistamine eye drops, so it just actually exacerbates the dry eye even more. So one really should be aware of having proper guidance as to what eye drop is necessary for what condition. Tears are not necessarily a bad thing though, right? Absolutely. I mean, if your eyes are streaming, it could be because there's a, there's a, you could have a blockage a, as well in the duct. In the duct, right, yes. and your eyes trying to clear it. Right. Yeah. How do you know if you've got a blockage in the duct other than your eyes streaming? I mean, would you be able to feel it? What will happen is that you will have an overspill of tears. It may be so excessive that it actually starts overspilling onto your cheeks and even discoloring and irritating your skin because of the components that are within our tear layer. So if you find your, sometimes you'll also find one eye more than the other is tearing because we can have a unilateral blockage, whereas with a normal dry eye, you find it's both eyes. So that has to be examined by an optometrist or an ophthalmologist because it will be looked at under a slit lamp, which is a microscope, and we'll be able to look at the glands on the lower lid and view if there are blockages and advise accordingly. So interesting. My guest is Tanya Noah. She's a qualified optometrist. We're talking about eyes. If you've got any questions, uh, any comments, we want to hear them. 34519, that's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1150. You can also send us a message on Telegram or WhatsApp on 061-895-1019. My name's Kathy Kayla, and this is the Discam Medical Monday. This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. My name is Kathy Kayla, and I'm your host for the next 50 minutes on the Discam Medical Monday. We're talking about eyes, we're talking about eye health, and uh, I've just, you know, I have been doing Discam Medical Monday for over 10 years, and... I've just learned that there are three layers to your tears. Did you know that? There's an oily layer. There is a, an aqueous layer, like a, like a watery layer. And then there's like a mucus layer to your tears. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. The more I do this, the more I learn. I just, yeah. My guest is, uh, Tanya Noach. She's a qualified optometrist. And, um, we, that's what we're talking about. If you've got any comments, if you've got any questions, about eyes, about eye health, you know, about your eyes perhaps, then send them through on 34519. That's the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1150. You can also send through a Telegram or WhatsApp message on 061-895-1019. Tanya, we were talking about dry eyes and how, you know, it's quite counterintuitive because you can have your, your eyes can be streaming. Yes. Because one of those layers of the tears are dry, or there could be an obstruction, or there could be, you know, one of your tear ducts um, that produce the different layers are blocked. How do you fix dry eyes Okay, so if, it's, if it's not a blockage? All right. So there are various methods of relief in the form of drops. Um, there are some drops that are sort of a generalized drop. So most of them do work on the basis that they actually go into those layers and they try and rehydrate those cells that have lost their their water ability. So they create like a matrix, like a gel-like structure so that your tears don't evaporate. Other drops have got much more oil layer in them. You have also gels. People with severe dry eyes, we often recommend a dual regime for them. So in other words, in the mornings, they'll have a 
a more thinner kind of eye drop so it doesn't blur your vision through the day. And then in the evening, they benefit from more of like a gel kind of drop so that when the eye is closed, it rests more on the surface and provides better protection for them to get through the day the next day. So that's in the terms of not having blockages in the actual puncture. Okay, so the puncture being the tiny little Correct. hole in the, cor- in the inner corner of your eyes. Yes. At the bottom of your of lid. lid. Correct. Okay, we only have one of those. One on each one side. One on each <laughs> side, yeah. But we don't have one in the top lid. We do, but it's more the bottom lid that's involved because the tears drain through those glands into the nasolacrimal duct, so that is where the whole flow of tears What about happens. makeup? Mm-hmm. Applying eyeliner for, for the ladies. I mean, yes. often it does go all the way through to the inner corner, especially if you look at makeup today. Definitely. You know, in these YouTube lovely tutorials. Yes. Um, what about makeup? So makeup is a huge one. Um, you've got hundreds of little glands that actually nourishing your eyelash margin as well as your lid bed. So using makeup, it's advisable not to actually put the eyeliner on the lid. It's preferable to paint it sort of underneath on the actual skin because that's what can cause blockages and often leads to you having cysts and stars. And it will make your eye look bigger. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Okay, I'm so pleased that you asked this because this is actually what I wanted to ask. Um, from Anonymous, my daughter battles with styes. Yeah, I wanted to ask about styes. Uh, seems to get them every other month. Could this be due to dry eye syndrome and excessive rubbing? And that's from Anonymous. So I was going to ask about styes. Is a sty not just a pimple in your eye? Yes, you can liken it to that, but there can be various causes. So again, back to the glands that nourish all your eyelash beds. What happens is often sometimes in children, they may not be as hygienic as, as we maybe are. So dirt and bacteria that does reach the eyelid margin can be trapped and cause one of those glands to get blocked. That's what causes styes. So with children, um, it's very important to try and use like a warm compress if it is flaring up often, you can just use a warm cotton wool pad just with water as warm as a child can tolerate. With the eyes closed, you place the pad on the eye. There are creams and ointments that can be used um, if if necessary, if it is infective, that normally does help dissipate. However, if it is recurrent and you're concerned or you're noticing that it's it's sort of staying there and it's not really resolving, I would definitely advise that the child be seen by a professional so that we can look at it under the microscope and advise accordingly. How common are stars? Extremely common. They really are extremely common. And often they are symptomatic and they they look worse than they are, but it's just like how you get a pimple on your skin. Very sore. It's very sore. Very, very sore. Very sore. And the, the contents underneath it need to be released to get some relief. So often the hot compress helps to open the pores out so that it can sort of reduce yeah, drain out. Perhaps. There are situations yeah. though where persistent styes do need to be maybe lanced by an ophthalmologist. So it is really dependent on, on where it is and exactly how much of the lid margin it's affecting and of course the symptoms, yeah. the pain being severe. I know if I get run, if I get run down, um, you know, my immune system is down or whatever, yes. then I'll get a star. Yes, it can happen. So it's always a sign for me of stress. Yes. And there's also various products on the market, ranging from lid wipes to foams that can be used in children. So all of these are external products. They do have chemicals in them that help prevent the clogging up and 
you know, we call it blepharitis where the lids actually get inflamed. So it does work well as well with children who do get those recurrent inflammations and flare-ups that you should clean the lids of the eye well, either mm. with baby shampoo because that doesn't burn the eye or <laughs> really? wipes. <laughs> really? <laughs> so try not to get yeah, it in the child's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that no more tears, no. Yes. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about conjunctivitis. Yes. And um, how serious is it? So it depends what type of conjunctivitis that you have. You can get different categories. The first being an allergic conjunctivitis where that eye pro- produces a watery discharge. So it's like that excessively tearing eye. It's extremely itchy. And that is obviously classified different to a dry eyes redness because mm. of the classic itching. And very sensitive to light. Correct. I think that's that conjunctivitis. Correct. Um, yes. Um, antihistamine eye drops, localized eye drops do normally target the cells and um, produce some relief. But often, if it's a chronic one, especially in children, we don't want anyone to rub their eyes excessively. This causes thinning of the cornea in certain areas and can cause problematic conditions like keratoconus where the cornea bulges forward and it thins out. So don't let your children rub their eyes or yourself as well. You get more prone to that. Rather use a mild antihistamine that can be recommended by your optometrist. In some cases, if it's it's a seasonal thing, like children who have a lot of allergies, like asthmatic children, and you find they're just allergic to many things, they can often have it on a chronic basis where then ophthalmologists normally prescribe them different kind of eye drops with a, a mild non-steroidal component to it so that it sort of calms down that inflammation, sometimes just with certain seasons like spring. Yeah. So okay. So that's that's allergic. Allergic. What is the other, what are the now, other types? We have a bacterial conjunctivitis. Now, where that will differ is mainly with the secretion. So it's also going to present with that red eye, but it's a more of a meaty red eye. It's a completely different kind of intolerance to light or photophobia. Those eyes are so sensitive. You need to wear your sunglasses. You're just feeling like everything's too bright around you. But the discharge is the classic key. A bacterial will present with a mucus discharge. It's a thick, yellowish discharge. You'll wake up in the morning and often find it's so crusty that it's stuck your lids together. So that's the main difference. That needs to be treated by an ophthalmologist and you need an antibiotic drop and sometimes a steroidal drop as well to clear it. That kind of conjunctivitis is highly infectious and contagious, whereas the allergic one isn't. So if someone in the family is presenting with those symptoms, it's very important to ensure that there is no sharing of towels between those family members. Don't share makeup with each other if you're sisters. Also, the pillows, the linen, all of that kind of stuff needs to be washed and cleaned every day. Otherwise, you just continue with the vicious cycle. And, of course, hand hygiene is the most important. You've got to wash your hands every time before you handle that eye. Make sure that you do not touch the bottle of the drops that you've been given into the eye because you put bacteria onto the lid, onto the tip of the bottle, and then once again the whole vicious cycle continues. And what we're discussing are very, very common. Absolutely. These are very, very common. Yes. So we've got cures for them and we can get them yes. sorted out within 24 hours. Correct. Basically. What are the other really common um, conditions for eyes? I mean, I, I heard something that in our and this is quite disgusting, actually. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just making sure you're listening. But um, that in our eyelashes, yes. we have mites that live in our eyelashes. Is that true? 
We can have mites. There. Hold on. I want to check my sound engineer. <laughs> Craig, let me see your eyes. Let me see your eyes. We'll need a microscope. No, he yet. hasn't got any mites on his, on his <laughs> eyelashes. Now, normally we all have a certain amount of bacteria that do live on our bodies. However, there are your normalized colonies of bacteria, and then there are the pathological ones that we don't want to see. So in some patients who do present with a dem- demodex, which is a kind of a mite that is for sure not what we want to see. That's that's not common at all, but it is common only in mostly elderly patients. Again, due to blepharitis, as I discussed earlier, you get an inflammation of the lids and not proper hygiene. Is a and then it, blepharitis is the inflammation of oh. the whole lid. So, okay. so that you, you start getting more prone if you don't have good lid hygiene because that's where they, they live off the And the big one is makeup. Oh, makeup you is have huge. to make sure that your makeup is taken off Absolutely. Properly. Very importantly. If not for lid hygiene, then it, do it for the aging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Age you. <laughs> right. Um, Gisela, th- morning, Gisela. Thank you so much. She says, can we use almond oil at night? That's a great question. Okay. Um, it depends for, for what reason. Are you wanting to use some sort of oily layer because your eyes are dry or for a protective function in terms of antibacterial function? No, maybe it's almond oil on your face and on your eyes. Yes, you can. If it doesn't, you know, have any irritants that cause you any allergic reactions, um, I don't see a need why, but you just want to take care not to get it too near the glands because as I told you, anything that comes too near your glands can cause you blockages and then you're back to the problems that we discussed earlier. Something that we that we touched on was light sensitivity. Yes. Um, I'm finding, and I know that a lot of people are, because I'm seeing a lot more people with these auto-tint lenses that as you go into the sun, they get darker. Yes. Um, and that, that's obviously some kind of photosensitivity that people have. Correct. Um, can we just talk about light sensitivity? I mean, how would you know that you're sensitive to light? Okay, so again, this will be quite different for each individual. The first thing to note is that the blue-eyed or green-eyed, the lighter-colored-eyed people are for sure more sensitive than the darker eyes. If you can imagine a lace curtain opposed to a blackout curtain, there's a lot more light that's going through that iris that's going to make that person much more light-sensitive than someone with a darker eye. So that's the first thing. Also, um, in South Africa, our UV radiation, in any case, any color eye and from all ages, ranging from children to adulthood, should protect their eyes because of the UV exposure that we do have. So those photochromatic or sensitivity kind of tinting lenses work great because the lens automatically thinks for you. So as soon as you go outside, UV activation will darken the lens. When you come inside, it does lighten it. Um, there are pros and cons with those lenses. I do find a lot of people are shying away from them at the moment because some people just don't like the time delay. When you walk into a building, you still have a bit of dark lens activity. And also maybe the day is cloudy, not necessarily sunny, but there's still UV coming through. So, so your lenses may be dark. Change, yeah. yes, and then you don't mm. want it. So often people prefer to have the two types. But on UV, it's very, very important to make sure that the sunglass that you've purchased is protected with a filter for UVA and B. Now, as you know from our sun, UVA, B, and C are emitted from the sun's rays, and only 10% of that light actually reaches Earth. But UVA and B are the ones that damage our eyes more. So 
Remember, in the eye, there's a lot of structures from the front posteriorly all the way to the back. And we do have a lens inside our eyes that as time goes on, it becomes opaque. And I'm sure everyone in their family or has heard of a friend who's had cataracts. So UVA can definitely penetrate those lenses and you can find yourself having cataracts earlier in life than, than one would necessarily so have. So cataracts are directly related to sun and UV radiation? It can, but it is definitely a factor of age as well because there are metabolic processes that happen in the lenses and the lenses cloud up. Um, also very common in South Africa is what we call a pterygium. So the UVB rays normally are... The cornea has protective functions. So the cornea is the middle part of your eye, the blue or the green or that section. On the outer areas, so laterally, the ears and nasal areas, we call that the conjunctiva. So those areas are very prone to UV damage. You'll often find that you can see, even with the naked eye, not with looking through a microscope, you see people have these growths on their eyes. So that is directly affected to UVB damage. So wearing protective sunglasses, making sure that the frame is large so that it's preventing all the light coming through. Also curved frames. If you're very sporty and you cycle and you run, curved frames are going to prevent all that excessive reflection off the road or from the water. If you And sometimes yes. just the atmosphere. Absolutely. You know, you can walk outside and there's this weird light. Correct. And there's a glare. Everything seems to be a glare. Correct. You need to be wearing glasses at the you know, at that time. Yes. So be very sure that the lens that you're wearing has proper filters. And normally your your good names bought from reputable practitioners and optometrists will have those filters. There's a lot of, of inferior quality lenses stating that they do have those filters and you may not necessarily be having the correct protection. How would you that know? You How would you be able to check? Is, is there a way to check? You know what? Normally... It's difficult to check because even if you put that lens into what we call a vert, which is a machine that measures lens powers, and you press UV, it can tell you there's UV, but it's the quality of the filters that have been added into the lens that do differ. So if you go with reputable brands that you know are carrying the brand mark and the trademark, they've passed through stringent conditions to ensure that they get the accreditation for that, you're generally safe. And most optometrists will stock those kind of of decent quality eyewear and, and their staff will normally be quite available to chat to you. They've been given training as well. What's your feeling on children wearing sunglasses? I recommend sunglasses to I'm seeing them everywhere. I'm seeing children's sunglasses everywhere. Correct. And remember now the demand on children is very, very great outdoors. The schools have got much more pressure on them for sporting activities. If it's not even on Saturdays, the children are outdoors for so many amount of hours and protecting the eyes from a much younger age just prevents all those complications that happen to us like the pterygiums and all the UV damage that occurs to us as adults. I mean you and I never had our parents recommending sunglasses or buying no, them. That was yeah that was completely <laughs> exactly. a novelty. Yeah. So parents are great because they're much more aware of the damage that can happen. They're much more proactive in wanting to learn how to protect their children's eyes. So that's absolutely a great thing to do. Very, very interesting. My name's Kathy Kayla and I'm speaking to Tanya Noah. She's a qualified optometrist. This is the Discam Medical Monday. We're talking about your eyes and we're talking about your eye health. If you've got any questions, any comments, we'd love to hear from you. 34519, that's the SMS line, or 061-895-1019. You can send us a WhatsApp or a Telegram message. Why don't you? Why don't you get in touch? You never call. You never write. Okay, I'm joking. You do. Um, I want to talk about optometrists versus ophthalmologists. 
Yes. An optician. What is an optician? Okay, yes. <laughs> Those are the terms a lot of people throw around and they don't really know what the differences are. So an optician really relates more to what we call a dispensing optician. So that kind of individual has done a course in dispensing. They're experts at cutting lenses, fitting lenses into frames. So they usually work in laboratories where they assist with fitting of lenses. They also do oh, work so in offices. Yes, it's a real thing. <laughs> it's not just an American word for optometrist. Absolutely okay, good. no. You can have a dispenser in your practice, it's a great help because that individual is trained to discuss lens types with the patient and on collection they can check everything is correct. Now moving, they cannot see a patient, so they are only more involved. Involved with actual lenses. Mechanics. Correct. Now you move over to an optometrist. An optometrist is qualified to diagnose eye conditions and diseases as well as do refractions, which is actually finding out what prescription your eyes need, whether it's at distance or near. Um, Optometrists in South Africa are restricted as to what schedule of medications that they can prescribe. So the optometrist is an absolutely great start because if you look at the amount of optometrists registered compared to ophthalmologists, we sort of are the first baseline and able to help the public at a much better consultation rate as well. If it's something that falls out of our scope of optometry, that's when we refer to an ophthalmologist. An ophthalmologist is a medical doctor. They've trained a full seven years to become a GP and a further four or five years to actually specialize in eyes. So where they differ is we're doing more of the front of the eyes. You're correcting your vision, your prescriptions, your contact lenses and spectacles, they are surgeons. So they are doing eye operations. They are assisting with um, subjects that we, we so can't go. Correct, yeah. So they are completely different category. They're looking at the health of your eyes. If you've got specific systemic diseases that affect our eyes a lot, then an ophthalmologist definitely needs to be consulted to have a closer look at the back of the eyes because they just have the equipment necessary to do all of those things. Yeah. Yes. Um, I remember years ago somebody told me to go to an iridologist. Yes. And it's, it's quite fascinating what you can tell about the body by looking at the iris of yes. the eye. It's a, it's fascinating. And I wonder how long it is until that kind of comes into, you know, into the greater, um, ophthalmic Correct. sphere. Yes. I no. think it'd be interesting. It would. And, you know, that topic falls more under your allied or your alternative health. So our health profession but council I mean, you doesn't recognize it too much <laughs> at this stage. But absolutely, there are optometrists and lay people that have done courses in iridology. I haven't personally done so myself, but I do believe that there, there is valuable information mm. that can be picked up from those things. So do you know how we know that carrots are good for your eyes? How? Because I've never seen a bunny with glasses. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about nutrition and the eyes. Can we eat in order to improve our eyesight? Is there such a thing? Okay, nutrition, remember the eye is not an organ that's sitting outside on its own. It's part of our bodies. So nutrition plays a massive role because if your body's healthy, your eyes will also follow suit. Now, in terms of nutrition, back coming to a dry eye, people who suffer with dry eyes find that there have been studies to show that oily fish does help 
you know, sort of lubricate their eyes because of their richness in omega-3. So these are your fishes like the salmons and trouts and sardines and mackerels and all of that. So as long as they're not farm fish, <laughs> because <laughs> anything that, no, I, I learned this from, yes. uh, from the cardiologist that I spoke to a little while ago, mm-hmm. that any animal that is grain fed will give you the wrong omega-3s. So you've got to get those, all those kind of fish, line fish. Exactly. If you can, not not farm bread. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So also your nutty kind of um, families, like your cashews, your peanuts, all of those, as well as your seeds, like your flax and your your seeds, also your legumes and all that contribute to your your omega threes. Um, they've also found that citrus fruits can p- play a role in you know degeneration of the eye, like because we really? need vitamin C's. And, um, so the, so the thing about carrots is actually true. So because they're vitamin C. They're now, very high in vitamin the C. The thing no? of carrots is beta carotene. So oh. carrots are orange because of beta carotene. Now they're rich in two things, carrots. It's vitamin A and it's beta carotene. So vitamin A, why it plays a role in our vision at the back of the eyes, we have sensory pigments. So those are responsible, our rods and cones. It helps us to see in the day. That's why at night you can't see so well. You'll bump into a table because our cones are not active. So it plays a role in nourishing those pigments. Now, in order for you to have vitamin A, you need beta carotene to synthesize it. So that's where the story came about the cat wow. carrot. So it is partially true for sure. But there are supplements as well nowadays that do possess all of these ingredients that taking a tablet can also help against. Well, not against, but it's assists with the development of macular degeneration and those degenerative conditions that one may have systemically from family genetics. Can we, I want to talk a little bit about degeneration of eyesight generally. Yes. And why more and more of us are needing to wear glasses. And I'm talking about not necessarily age related. Yes. You know, we all know that you hit 40 and everything kind of goes downhill. <laughs> but when I look around, like our our community, yes. there are many, many young children who are wearing glasses. And we're talking young kids from, from nursery school age, they're wearing glasses. And so there's, there's a few questions. One, can degener- degenerative eyesight be um, genetic? Absolutely, it can. So if your parents wear glasses in their 20s, chances are you going to wear glasses in your 20s. Especially if your parents are myopic, which means short-sighted. You find that the children do start presenting with that um, inevitably. So it is really advisable from the schools nowadays normally do screening methods where they're able to sort of screen and pick up certain visual anomalies or notice that a child can't see specific lines of letters that we want them at those ages. And normally from school going ages, optometrists can competently see children because you have better responses from them subjectively. Smaller children is a different category because often they are born with squints or anything, you know, and younger children that present with higher refractive errors, normally that's again where we refer back to ophthalmology. So the indications for younger children are often different to your teenager or your adults that are exposed a lot to screens. Also, our children don't play enough outdoors anymore. So you find instead of them having relaxation of the ciliary body, which is the muscle in our eyes, remember and for looking you, in the distance. Correct. For you to sit and read something up close or to look at your cell phone, we're all stuck to devices nowadays. 
that muscle has to accommodate so great to keep and hold that focus for a long period of time. Now, when you look far away, instead of it being flexible and relaxing itself as it should, you now have a time delay. So you'll often find that you look from far to near and it takes a couple of seconds to adjust your vision. And inevitably, sometimes we find we get progressive myopia from devices in the children as well. It's from all the near work that they're stuck to. It, in the end, causes you to become short-sighted in the distance, unrelated to genetic factors. Can we correct that with exercises, with muscle exercises? Exercises can be corrected, but the absolute key where there's no genetic involvement is to monitor your children's usage on devices, limiting screen time, ensuring that they have enough outdoor play, just getting them to have a break in between sitting on Xboxes and phones and iPads and playing games. That is really a huge factor that will assist are there exercises that could help us to regain our long our long distance vision if that's if that's what it is so what's it it's myopic and Hyperopic, which is far-sighted. Yes, Yes. correct. There are exercises that are more effective in children. Um, There are also different kinds of instruments that are are used to, to correct this. However, unfortunately, later on, it's not really possible. Exercises don't really make any any difference to this. You find that, have you noticed how many people were fine their whole life and all of a sudden they're in varsity and now they can't see the board because, again, the excessive near work, you, you cannot reverse that with exercises or anything. You will most what likely need spectacles. <laughs> what a pity. What a pity. Just back on nutrition, a major yes. thing is water. So the rate of hydration in our bodies, water plays a massive role, again, to dryness in your eyes and just ensuring all the cells are functioning optimally so one shouldn't be dehydrated you should ensure you have enough uptake of water Water fixes so many problems <laughs> yes. so many problems all right i want to talk about i'm um, just watching the time and um, i want to talk about signs that you need to see your optometrist or your ophthalmologist asap um, my guest is Tanya Noach. She, Tanya Noach. She's a qualified optometrist. We're talking about your eye health. And if you've got comments, if you've got questions, we'd love to hear from you. 34519. That's a text line. You can also WhatsApp or Telegram on 061-895-1019. My name's Kathy Kayla and this is the Discam Medical Monday. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. Indeed, they are pharmacists who care, and my name is Kathy Kayla. My guest is Tanya Noach. She's a qualified optometrist. We've been talking about your eyes and your eye health, and uh, we've got a very, very interesting voice note, Tanya. And uh, <laughs> this is in relation to we're talking about nutrition and eating for better eye health, and uh, I asked about, you know, how do you know that carrots are good for your eyes? Because you haven't seen, you've, no, you've never yes. seen a bunny with glasses. Correct. Um, so we just got this, and it's very, very interesting. One of our voice notes. Thank you. Unfortunately, unsigned. Hi. So about the, about the carrots in our site, um, it might be true that today we know that there's a link between beta carotene and um and in founding carrots and healthy eyesight, but that isn't where the where the story comes from. The reason why it's such a well-known thing that carrots help eyesight is actually because in World War II, um, the Allies didn't want uh, Germany to know that um, they had these uh, this radar that they could see their 
their aircraft coming in at night and shoot them down. So what they said is that uh, they their pilots were eating carrots, and that was giving them night vision, and so that's how they were able to see the German planes. Absolutely and uh, that piece of wartime propaganda has uh, has kind of uh, that's that's why everyone thinks today that that carrots give good eyesight. That is so interesting. Yes, that is indeed. so interesting. You see, you see, see I learn every day from absolutely. you. Absolutely, me too. I didn't know that fact at yeah. all. It's amazing. Thank, thank you. you I, w- for I that. wish you had signed your name. Yes. I wish you had told us who you are. Anyhow, thank you very, very much for that. Learn, live and learn. Absolutely, Kathy. <laughs> Especially from our listeners. Um, how do we know when we have to go and see when something could be a little bit more serious with our eyes? You know, it's not a sty, it's not conjunctivitis, which we would, which we would get sorted out. I mean, we, we've covered that. Yes. But what are the signs with our eyes that something could be much more serious? Okay, so again, that's quite a broad question, but in simple terms, there are quite a few conditions that can be related to as in an emergency situation. The first that we have is a high prevalence of what we call glaucoma in South Africa, mm-hmm. where it is a raising of the intraocular pressure of the eye. If you can imagine, our eyes are like a ball. There are various chambers, a front and a backside chamber to it, and they are filled with different fluids. Now, there needs to be a drainage of these fluids between certain areas of the eye, and if it's not efficient, the pressure can rise significantly in the eye. So glaucoma is one that you can have a acute onset of glaucoma where the pressures can raise. We, we normally expect pressures to be between 10 to 20, somewhere there in terms of how we measure that. Um, in terms of millimeters of mercury, we have tonometers, which are machines that measure that. A patient who presents with high pressure can all of a sudden have an excessively painful eye. So pain is not something that one needs to walk around and not have had somebody professional look at it because one shouldn't be aware of the eye. It's an organ that carries on and does its function. So pain is a big symptom. You'll also have the very red watery eye and, of course, the blurred vision. So If one has pain, you should go into an optometrist. They can be your first line, again, to to check if it needs to be evaluated. If the pressure is found to be high, we will, of course, refer to an ophthalmologist. If it is on a weekend, there are strategies in place. Most ophthalmologists have emergency numbers or most emergency care hospital facilities do have ophthalmologists on call. That is an emergency. Glaucoma, you can definitely lose your vision because you can have damage to the optic nerve and it is a condition that can be blinding. Again, genetic factors. You know, in the sense of curable, it's manageable. Um, If you have glaucoma, it's unlikely that you'll be cured from it, but one can definitely have it managed well by an ophthalmologist by different methods. They can use eye drops to bring the pressure down, certain surgical procedures as well. So what are the, so what are the symptoms of glaucoma? So you'll have pain in your eyes. You often find that you have an excruciating headache as well because that pressure is high in the eye. You'll have blurred vision. You'll absolutely see that your eyes are not feeling all right. Is glaucoma the one where you get a halo around a light? That if you look at a light, you can't actually see the light. It's, it's like a, it's like a white halo around it. You can because of the light sensitivity. That kind of symptom can present with quite a few conditions. Yeah. But take heed that if someone in your family quite closely related has glaucoma and you experience such symptoms, you definitely need to have that looked at. Also in very highly short-sighted people. So that's my op- 
myopic people, in other words, people who can't see far away, their eyes are often a little bit of a bigger eye. So what happens is if you notice symptoms like little lightning flashes going on in your vision or dark areas coming down like dark curtains in your eye, we always want to be aware that it is not a retinal detachment. So that has to be looked at by an ophthalmologist. Yeah. So those are telltale symptoms. Often, as you know, I work for an ophthalmologist as well in Santon. So we often do see those patients who come there in an emergency situation and they've maybe noticed the symptom already on Friday and they've thought, oh, it's normal. It'll, It'll go, go away. away. Exactly. And only by the time they go to the optometrist, you know, there's already been hemorrhaging and bleeding in the eye. So, I always advise my patients who are highly short-sighted to look out for those symptoms because one is not aware of them. And it, there's no age category linked to it. It can happen simultaneously. What's a detached retina? So at the back of the eye, we have a sensory layer in the eye. And this layer can detach. So oh. how does it happen? Okay, so... A lot of things can make it happen. Okay, so first, firstly, as I said, you highly short-sighted people because the eye is bigger. It is more prone because imagine it's a thinner area; it can detach over there. Okay, that's mostly what, what can happen. Um, also, you can have systemic diseases that make you more prone to to those kind of problems. Like diabetes is a huge one. If you're a diabetic patient and you notice that. Your sugars are fluctuating. You'll notice your eyes fluctuate. You'll maybe see that you can see clearly in the morning and in the afternoon you can't. Your vision's all over the place. If you are diabetic and you're having a loss of vision or any of the following symptoms, you need to see an ophthalmologist. People with high blood pressure as well. You can have what we call a transient ischemic attack where you just lose vision. Everything yes. looks black all of a sudden. That's a medical emergency. One should never... Open your eyes and see nothing in front of you. It's just black. So. And that could be anything. That could be neurological. It Absolutely. could be diabetes. Yes. It, it could be an it could be anything. Correct. And another huge one is if you notice you see double vision all of a sudden. That and you is haven't another, been drinking. Yes. <laughs> unrelated to any behavioral activities. That also is something that you can have a look at. And optometrists are widely accessible in today's times. You'll find them in practices in, in shopping centers that function at normal trading hours. So they are your first line of access. Sometimes patients go to GPs and often GPs don't have the equipment that an optometrist has because we can check the pressure in your eyes, make sure it's not too high, look at your eyes under a microscope, look at your eyes with a fundus camera which looks at the back of the eye. So definitely seek the help of an optometrist. They are qualified to refer you necessary if if an emergency situation arises. I feel like we've only scratched the surface <laughs> of, you know, the tip of the iceberg. We've only scratched the surface. Absolutely. Tanya Noah, thank you very, very much for thank coming you. in today, for your time. I said to you earlier that you should be on television. Tanya is wearing this beautiful, <laughs> <Thank> beautiful <laughs> pink scarf and, and pink jacket and a black shirt. You look, you really look like you're made for television. Thanks a lot, but, Kathy. Uh, thank you very, very much for your time. And uh, thank you for joining me for this Discam Medical Monday, and thank you, uh, ah, Ziv Shani. That's who sent through the, those interesting facts about beta carotene. So uh, thank you very, very much. Have a wonderful day, and I will see you same time, same place next week. God bless. Bye.